Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hello, peeps, and welcome to the show. This is the Business Ownership Podcast. My name is Michelle Nedelec, and I have a most stellar guest for you here today. It is the none other, the incredible Mr. Mark McGrone. I'm not talking about the actor, or the football player, or the other guys you might have Googled on, but I'm talking about the notorious one from Atlanta, Georgia. Everybody in Atlanta knows him. Everybody goes and does his training. So you're going to find out why right now. So welcome, Mark. This is awesome to see you. For those of you who don't know, I haven't seen you in what, three years now? Probably so. Yeah, it's awesome. We met each other back in 2005, somewhere back, eight, something like that. Probably seven, I would guess. Wouldn't have been six, but uh, 2007, 2008. So it's, it's, it's been a minute, as they say. Absolutely. And I can honestly say, because I've known you, these are some of the best years of my life. Well, so, and, and you've made a big impact uh, on the <laughs> years too. And, uh, and I'm not being facetious, guys. You're going to find out why. This guy's incredible. So give us the 5,000 uh, foot view of who you are, how you got to where you are, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. So, so, uh, so uh, I am, uh, I am uh, one Mark McGraw. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I own a Sandler Training office down here. So I've been coaching and training folks uh, in the sales, customer service, and leadership world for the better part of 14 years. And uh, blessed to be able to do it in a big way. It's, it really is a, it's a passion. It's a calling. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful business to be in. We should talk about that if, if you want. But uh, uh, got a couple wonderful kids that are mostly grown at this point. And uh, recently moved a couple of times in a good way. So uh, life is good. I mean, there's a lot of crazy, crazy stuff that's going on uh, out there right now in the, in the world today, but life is very, very good. There always will be. So are your babies with you now still? Have they moved back home during this? So, so uh, yeah, so I have a 20 year old and a, uh, and a 25 year old and they are both living with me right now because uh, one of them is in college, but not in college because of uh, COVID stuff. And then the other one is about to start med school. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So she's living with us until she starts med school. So we have a, a full house again, which is fun. That's fun. My 26-year-old moved back home for a short span. <laughs> so he, he was backpacking in South America. So he came back from Colombia and kind of found his bedroom <laughs> Clean it up, move back in again. Uh, so yeah, he is. His heels are itching to get back out of the house. I assure you, <laughs> it's been fun having him back. I, I had a little bit of empty nest syndrome, so I was like, oh yeah, my baby's back. We're <laughs> stoked. Nice. So yeah, they grew up fast. I remember them when they were itty bitty. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's always amazing when you see a, uh, you know, a picture from Facebook or something like that from years ago, and you're like, wow, that was only that uh, that long ago. That is awesome. And before we get too deep into this, I got to say, um, those of you who are on the podcast right now, you can't see this, but behind Mark's back is a most spectacular library, and I have library envy. So <laughs> just have to mention that right there, and the little trophies behind, awesome. Yoda yeah. and the whole nine yards. I had to go digital at one point, so this is only a fraction of the library um, 
you know, just because I went digital several years ago. Wow, that is awesome. Well, you're clearly well-learned and or, and, or well-shopped. <laughs> Somebody uh, just a few minutes ago, they said, uh, hey, did you read all those books? I said, well, the good ones. Not all of them are worth finishing. <laughs> so that's awesome. uh, I think that's, that's, that's probably worth something for everybody. One thing I did, uh, I'll just throw this out to you guys, uh, to, yeah. to you. And to, you know, one thing I started doing uh, uh, last year is I've read less on purpose, but I've read the same book multiple times. Nice. Oh, you froze on us. What was that? No, I said that's been interesting to read the same book. Uh, I read one book last year five times. Nice. Uh, Which one? Uh, it was called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Very cool. Yeah. Very great. cool. I know I've read Think and Grow Rich about 14 times now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a winner. I think it's, yeah. a, I think. You know, I'm sure there's other things you want to bring up, but I think it's interesting to uh, how many times has someone said, well, have you read this book? And you say yes. And they say, well, what'd you get out of it? You can't think of a thing. You know, oh. Maybe that doesn't happen to you. But that happened to me a lot. <laughs> I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to get fewer books into my life and I'm going to have higher quality books and I'm going to study them and I'm going to own them internally as opposed to just going for volume. So anyway. Well, I had the unique experience on that topic. Uh, we were sitting down. I was introduced to this incredibly beautiful woman who happens to be Michael Gerber's wife. And she goes to the table of about 10 of us. And well, have you read the book? And they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you remember of it? And they're all like, uh, <laughs> I said, what? This is like the Bible of entrepreneurialism. How can you not know this? And I like spewed out the whole book in five minutes. And she's like, see, she knows the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i know the e-myth let me tell you <laughs> so, that's my bible <laughs> yeah, good yeah. One know, no doubt about it yeah i gotta get to know him a little bit better because i was thinking there's a few people that have read um my book the business ownership mindset and they're like oh yeah it's like the e-myth and i'm like no it's nothing like the e-myth but okay and then i thought well now that i've met his wife maybe i can get him to endorse the book that would be awesome <laughs> you know well we're rubbing shoulders and all <laughs> that's awesome. That is a great habit. So I um, do want to get into all of your wealth of knowledge. And I know that half an hour isn't going to even be the tip of the tip of the iceberg on this one. Um, but I, I got to say that there is um, working with you is fantastic in that. And on the same note, I guess, from the books is you took the information and you internalized it. Like you didn't just memorize the information, you internalized it and embodied you and it became part of kind of who you are in the everyday conversations you had to the point where I think you became completely unconsciously confident. And uh, I'm sure you've had to <laughs> kind of brush back on some of those skills, but you have probably forgot more about sales and systems mm -hmm. and management training and scaling companies than most of us will ever even know in our entire lives. So um, kind of, if you could distill down into what are some of the most important things about sales and creating a system, creating a business so that you have business ownership. So I think you know what I mean by that, in that you're not just a solopreneur anymore. You're not just an entrepreneur, but you're building a business that could actually run without you. What do you think the most important aspects of sales and sales management are? Um, I, I think, I mean, when you bring that question up, a couple things come to my mind for sure. Uh, one is... Um, I think it's interesting that people that are business owners that really adopt that business owner mindset 
they really are willing to uh, qualify opportunities and look at things for what they are with respect to the business. And I think that's a big difference when a business owner tries to hire a salesperson, for example, that's something the salesperson often misses. And the business owner can have a, a walkaway presence or posture about them. And the salespeople sometimes have to learn how to have that. Um, we were talking earlier today about the importance of qualifying opportunities as opposed to just trying to chase everything and talk people into things. And I think the best business owners uh, really do have that mindset with respect to, to, uh, to, to selling as it were, because a lot of times the, the best salesperson uh, is the owner of the business in many cases in the entrepreneurial world. And so that's certainly one thing that comes to my mind when, when I hear you ask that question about business owner mindset and how do you get there? Mm -hmm. uh, we can talk further about that though, for sure. Absolutely. That is one of my favorite subjects is making sure that as a business owner, you know exactly who your, and what I'm going to call your ideal client. So some people will say your niche, your niche, your whatever. Uh, what I want to know is who's my ideal client? Who are the people that I get excited about going, oh my God, I got a meeting with Mark today. This is going to be so fun. And I get stoked about it. Like this isn't work to me. This is super fun. I get to talk to my friends. We get to help people build their business. And it's like, this is awesome. This is what life is all about. And I think if people really understand that you can hone into who your ideal client is and what their ideal journey is and build a business that caters to that, like you build a phenomenal, um, like it's, it's a power source. It's a, it's a calling. It's like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's like you're on a mission or something like that. And people want to be a part of that because you're having so much fun because you're doing the thing that makes you jive and you're good at it. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we think about ideal client profiles, that's a term that we use with it. Um, I think a lot of times people think about the, you know, the geographics of where they are, if they're thinking about their business segment or the demographics, the type of person that they're dealing with. And I don't, it might've been you that taught me this many years ago, but to think about um, another element, which is the psychographics. What's the mindset of the person? Because you could have a, a market segment that you know, of 10,000 people that meet um, a business's demographics uh, or, geographics, but out of that 10,000, there might only be 500 that meet the psychographics. Uh, are they, meaning, uh, are they forward-thinking people? Are they willing to take challenges and risks? These are things that we, we think about. Uh, do, they, do they like to invest in their people? Uh, you know, I had a, a meeting not too long ago with, it's a funny thing, within like two days, I had meetings with two companies that were not competitors, but they were very, very, very close in the industry. And, uh, and, and one guy, uh, president of a company, uh, he had no interest really in investing in his people. And, you know, he had this big team and we talked for a while about this, that, but it just wasn't his thing. And then this other guy I met with a day later, almost the exact same, in the same industry. He's like, absolutely, it's critical to me that I'm always investing uh, in my people and I, I care about them. I want to see them grow and, and getting to know both of these people, you can see one of them is far more successful than the other, but it's about their mindset, their demographics, their geographics were the same, but their psychographics were, were night and day difference. Uh, 
and again, that's kind of part of qualification and, and doing what we do. So Nice. And I'm guessing that it was the one that was investing in his employees that was actually the more successful of the two. Yeah. From a, his, a numbers point of view. His people loved him. Uh, the other guy basically is viewed as a, as a very transactional, um, what have you done for me lately kind of uh, leader, lots of turnover. A uh, couple of people with long tenure uh, in his business, but those are people that uh, are basically mavericks. They're, they're rogue salespeople or employees uh, that are high performing, high maintenance people. And, um, and he's, he's kept those people around, but the rest of the staff turns over a lot and it's, and you, you just see the difference and it is about mindset. Nice. And do you think that's kind of an eighties thing versus a, you know, 2020 kind of thing, or is that just different kind of people run their businesses differently and there's really nothing you can do about that? I, I, I don't know if it's, nothing you can do about it, but I think it's, I don't think it's a, it's a timestamp thing. Um, I think that, I mean, go back to, to the e-myth if you like, and, and take a look at some of the principles and say, uh, you know, there are people that have a very tactician mindset about what they do. And there are people that want to go grow a business. And that's a big difference from a mindset point of view. Uh, I've always had a lot of fun working uh, on the business, not in the business. I enjoy that. Nice. Well, I also kind of think that it's a, um, to do what was the word I was thinking. It's cre- the difference to me is creating a, a culture, like you said, and creating movement. And that's what my point was going to be is I think that it happens. You can build a movement company a lot faster as far as revenue and productivity and profits and things like that. When you're collaborating with your team, rather than doing it tactically and trying to push people into doing their jobs and forcing them to kind of figure out what they need to do when they need to do it and how they need to get it done. It's to me, I've seen companies that have, you know, a lot of longevity, but they could have been a lot further, a lot faster had they kind of let go of the reins, so to speak, and actually started talking to their managers and figuring out, you know, what are their competencies and where do they have fun in their day? And, because I think employees, they don't want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be employees and they, they want to serve the company. They're loyal to the company. And if they're having fun or they're appreciated in some way, shape or form, they tend to perform a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, uh, and you know, you find things that people are really good at and get them doing those, uh, you know, leveraging strengths. There's a lot of terms for it, uh, for sure. Uh, that's been a, that's been a big thing. I think that's, it's helped us be successful is figuring out what people are good at and, and making sure that they're doing those things as much as humanly possible, myself included. And if the team isn't big enough, I mean, uh, by all means, finding uh, external resources. That's a beautiful thing about, about living in 2020 is, is we can tap into so many other people that are really good at a niche and we don't have to hire them and carry them on our payroll. We, we can just use them when we need them. Uh, I mean, I may not be great at, at, at video editing or audio editing or creating, uh, you know, graphic and documents and web pages, but for, for not a lot of money, you can have people that love to do that, go to work for you, not on, not, not as a W2, you know, but on contract and you can get great work done very easily. We can scale so, so nicely in many respects. 
Oh, absolutely. I would way rather pay somebody $250 for a half hour work that they can get done than somebody $15 an hour for two years to try and figure out how to get that same thing done. I've learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> Let me and, tell you. <laughs> and this may be a little bit of a cynical view, uh, but it, but I think there's some truth to it. And that's that as a W, as a 1099 employee or, or as an employee that, that as a person that is a contractor, as they're a contractor, they always look at you as uh, a customer and, and everybody wants to serve the customer. Something happens sometimes when someone becomes an employee. And in the United States, when you get a W-2, they become an employee. All of a sudden now there's, well, you as an employer, you owe me things and there's entitlement that comes with it. And that there's, it's like, well, what, what happened here? You were yesterday as a contractor, I was your customer and today not so much. So, you know, those things happen. And we can avoid it by contracting is, uh, you know, quite a bit. Absolutely. And it leads into like my statement five seconds ago was employees want to be loyal to you, but then you have to create a culture of appreciation, and all those kind of things, which is just harder to do if you don't know who you are, what you stand for, all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, definitely I'm a huge advocate of contracting out the things that you're not good at. Um, tell me a little bit. I know that you guys used to talk a lot about, um, when you go into a company and go, hey, tell me about your, your sales systems. And people yeah. would kind of look at you with doe eyes and go, my what? <laughs> yeah. So how important do you think having systems and strategies is for a company to grow and scale? If they want to scale, you got to have things uh, written down. You've got to have things documented. You've got to make it easy, especially, I think, for sales. Um, and, and since we're a little bit more on the sales-centric side of things, if you look at a lot of businesses, they have really good systems for accounting. Uh, they have good systems for operations and service. Usually sales is like the last thing that they, they put systems to. But yet when you go hire somebody and put them into a role uh, and, and you don't have any structure to be able to say to the person, this is how you sell our stuff. And this is then everybody that comes in has to figure it out and they all have to wing it. And that creates a very inefficient uh, process, basically. And it kind of, Michelle, ties back to, uh, you know, what you see sometimes with an entrepreneur or a business owner is they've figured out how to sell, but they haven't figured out how to teach other people how to sell. And they're selling many times from a place of conviction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're saying to a customer, uh, if they're selling as the business owner, uh, they're saying to the customer, you know, uh, Hey, I'll take great care of you. You know, here's my phone number. Here's my cell phone number. Here's my wife's cell phone. Anything you need, call me, you know, and that conviction comes through. But as an employee of that person, that's not a reliable, transferable, you know, proven method of selling. That just doesn't work. You have to have other things. Mm-hmm. Well, and as I look at it is, and I totally agree that a lot of people will go, hey, I just want that ace salesperson to come and work yeah. for us and, and they will take over my company and they will do all sorts of things. I was like, well, yeah. And then you don't have any consistency in what you're doing. Yeah. So you don't know what your customer's ideal journey is with your company. And you can't say that Mary and Paul had the same experience. So you, you're, you're losing all your stats. You're losing mm-hmm. all your um, foresight. You're losing all of your... Um, well, my words are escaping me today. When you look into the future and you go, how much money are we going to make next month? What's that word? Forecast. Thank you. 
podcast, right? Like it just, if you don't have those systems in place, you're going ad hoc all the time. And as a manager or owner of a company, like you just can't build and scale a business that may or may not operate if Dave, the sales guy is not here. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. And, uh, you know, I think if people rely too much on uh, relationships and friendships, which, by the way, I think they're still important in 2020, but they're less important today than they were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, you know, you got to sell on value today far more than ever. Uh, you know, and relationships are useful. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to bring something to the table beyond just going out and making, you know, friends and making nice with people. Uh, and so, you know, those are all actually pretty uh, documentable questions and processes and steps that a business owner, an entrepreneur can get written down and say, here's our best practices in, you know, in the, the life's, life journey of a customer uh, to get from hello to cha-ching, you know, and uh, meaning the sale is made. And those things can be documented and laid out in terms of best practices. I've seen people do that. And basically it's, you know, six lines on a piece of paper and I've seen 600 page manuals and everything in between. And uh, so I think people get hung up in terms of how difficult it needs to be. Absolutely. Totally agree. So tell us a bit about kind of what you do. What do you do for people? How do, how do you kind of, um, how do you do what you do? How do we do what we do? Uh, so, <laughs> That's not an open-ended question. Is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so, so sure. So um, from a, from a, you know, people look at uh, what we do and they say, okay, sales training. And I guess that there's truth to that, but really we, we teach people how to have good repeatable systems for selling. And what we, what we do that by is more of an ongoing coaching training process rather than a two day program or event. And I think no matter what a business owner or an entrepreneur is working on or a manager is working on, you have events and you have processes and processes by and large uh, work better than events. Uh, an event being a one-time something, uh, a process of course being something continuous. If you go to the gym, you're going to be better to, you know, to go to the gym for 24 straight days than you would be to work out for 24 hours. It just makes sense. <laughs> that would hurt. Would hurt. Yes. <laughs> So one is a process, the other is an event. And, and we are much more on the process side of things in terms of helping businesses put good processes in place to help their, their people sell more, uh, less energy. Absolutely. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Sandler system, it is a phenomenally cohesive system that allows, I would say, anybody to be able to step into a sales role and figure out how to create um, not only empathy for the customer and the journey that they're going through, but to really hone in on, okay, are you my ideal client? Do you fit the culture of my company? Do I fit the culture of your company? Are we going to be a good fit for each other? Is this going to be a long-term relationship? Or are you just throwing money at the problem and hoping it's going to go away? And to me, that there's nothing more foolish than either company could do, whether you're buying or selling the training, is to just go in and churn and burn because all you're doing is ruining your reputation on one end or burning money on the other. So I love your system, as you guys know. I think it's one of the best there is. And I think it's ridiculous to think 
that anybody could go in and just be a good salesperson all of a sudden because they saw a a weekend or they took a Jim Rohn class, love Jim Rohn, but I didn't become a good salesperson because <laughs> I sat yeah. and watched a couple of videos from him. Like it didn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, and I think to, to the, you know, I think people have a preconceived notion of what sales is uh, as well that sometimes isn't, isn't so positive. Um, I had someone, someone paid me a really nice compliment not too long ago. Uh, they said, uh, how are you such a, a good salesperson? I'm like, wow, that was, that was nice. And I thought for a second, and uh, I think this gives you, this tells you a lot about what methodology. I thought for a second, I said, I, honestly, I don't know that I'm that great of a salesperson. It's funny, I teach it, right? I don't know that I'm that great. Of, I'm a hell of a good qualifier. I'm a hell of a good qualifier. I can figure out pretty quickly whether someone's serious about fixing a problem or not. And they're going to go into one of two buckets pretty quickly. And one of them is going to be a customer and the other one's going to be not a customer. Uh, and I think, I think in many respects, that's, that's really a big key to successful salespeople uh, and putting a good process in place for just that, that activity. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense to me. And I'm thinking somebody hearing this for the first time is going, no, I just want a whole bunch of sales because as soon as I get, you know, a couple of hundred million dollars through the door, you know, then I can worry about parsing out my bad clients or my good clients. What do you have to say to that? Doesn't work that way. You got to, you got to start at the beginning. You know, you got to act. Uh, I, I heard, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Watson from IBM. He said, you know, I said, we became successful at IBM and grew IBM because we acted like a big company long before we ever were in the sense of we acted in a in congruence of what we wanted to become. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that in terms of if you just go out and try to take every account and every piece of business and try to close every sale, then that's a, a, a in the long run, that's a slower process than saying, we're going to find the right clients that we can make a great difference with. And we're going to serve those people in an amazing capacity. And if they don't meet this mindset, like the two people that I brought up earlier, right? The two owners of two different businesses that were similar in businesses, you know, one makes for a good fit into our business and the other doesn't. And, you know, the, the harder you try to convince someone to be a good prospect, the worse that generally gets, the more, the more annoying it becomes on both parties. So why are we doing that? You know? let's just have a good business conversation. And if your problems meet the needs of what we can provide, great. And if not, how about I, the salesperson come to know, you know, before you, the buyer get to know, because you may never say no, that happens. How do we get to know before they do and, and properly qualify or disqualify uh, any opportunity? Nice. And I love they bring up IBM because I keep thinking every time you say that the the Apple commercial when they first came out and it was like, Hey, we're hip and Hey, this is Apple. And Hey, have you met IBM and IBM of course is the guy in the suit and, and it, you would think that it, that had a negative impact on IBM, but I would have to guess that it actually had a positive impact on both Apple and IBM because all the IBMers are going, yeah, it's totally me. I don't want an Apple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I think they segregated their market, but they did it in a, to me, a perfect way is like, I totally associate with that one, not that one. I want to be able to get into my computer and rip out the nuts and bolts and make it mine because I'm a control freak just a little bit. And the ones that just want to go out and make things pretty and make it work and just have the tools there that they need right now. 
awesome. Like we are to- totally different people and off we go and, and both markets win because now you know, you're, there's no deliberation when you get to the counter. Do I want a IBM or a Apple? And it's like, no, I want IBM. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's accurate. And, and uh, you know, Apple's going to pull a few people over the fence uh, their way, but the people that really uh, admire and appreciate what Apple's all about, they're going to go in that direction. And everybody's happy in an Apple store. (laughs) You know that they're the kind of people that want to be there. So, you know, it's just a happy place to be. As I'm fiddling with an Apple product here, right here. (laughs) That is awesome. So if somebody's going, oh my God, you're awesome. Uh, Like, actually, let me back up the bus. So if somebody has stumbling blocks um, that they're not sure how to get over and they're thinking to themselves, oh my God, I need you. (laughs) How do they know that they're the right fit for you? Um, how do they know on that side? Well, usually, by the way, at, at some point, there's a conversation that we have 15 minutes and, and you know, with me or somebody on our team to, to talk through that. But, you know, generally, they're faced with some level of problem that they're, they're trying to find the right salespeople. Uh, you know, their salespeople, usually, you know, 20% of the salespeople are producing 80% of the results. The other 80% are, are floundering or struggling in some ways. Uh, and they're trying to figure out how do I scale that business on the sales uh, or possibly customer service side of things. And so they would be experiencing those kinds of uh, challenges or frustrations. And, you know, they would reach out to, to either me or some of the other Sandler offices, depending on where they are, uh, to be able to go get the help that they need. Sweet. So may as well throw that in right now. How would they, how would they do that? <laughs> Besides Googling Mark McGraw in yeah. Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, certainly uh, reach out to us. Uh, our, uh, our website is salesengine.sandler.com. Um, and then uh, we have uh, an email for anybody that's interested in talking with us, salesengine.sandler.com. Uh, or if someone likes, they can go to sandler.com and uh, find a local office as well. You know, we're, we're able to do a certain amount of work across the country and across the globe. So uh, however they chose to do it, it's a number of different ways to to be able to learn more about Sandler and get help if they have those types of challenges. Nice. And what I would recommend to people is even if you're just curious about how this whole thing goes down, book that appointment with Mark and listen to how he does what he does, as opposed to just kind of going in and answering the questions because it really is magic and it, it's just a normal conversation, but at the same time, he's, he's figuring out where you're coming from and, and, what that fit is and, and it's just a beautiful thing so if you're a big enough company and you're going global he can help you out with that one if you're a niche market somewhere in a local geographical area he can still help you so feel free to give them a shout connect with them and they'll make sure that you're all set up perfectly because your goals are more important to them than just making sure that they got a client on the book and you gotta know that hugely important awesome um so I think I've asked you that. So let me ask you this. At what point in your life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you were going to become a successful entrepreneur as opposed to being an employee? Oh my gosh. Uh, that's a great question. Um, it, at one point in my corporate America days, um, I got really tired of other people telling me what to do. Uh, and, uh, and I said, I, I, I can't do this. I can't continue to do this for the rest of my life. And I, I really remember, uh, I remember a, a, a pivotal moment for me uh, where I remember talking to my wife uh, in the kitchen one day, just in a moment of frustration. And, and I said, you know, people say you can't have it all. Well, damn it. I want it all. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I <know>? like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
They that can is- have that belief, but I'm not going to have that belief. And, and uh, my wife had more confidence in me and my ability to go do it than I did early on. Uh, so she was really supportive uh, to me in, in that endeavor. And uh, that's really cool to have good people around you. But for me, it's really a matter of, of uh, you know, wanting to, to do my own thing and, and take control and have the freedom that, uh, that comes to, at the end of the day, you, you have to, you know, you have to make it or break it on your own. And uh, no one's going to tell you what to do or how to go do it, which is both a blessing and a curse, is it not? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, if it doesn't go well, you, you know, by and large, have only one person to blame or one person to look to from an account, accountability point of view, and that's yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I like that. I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting that, that business ownership and entrepreneurship is not right for everybody, and not everybody should do it. Um, you know, it's, it's not meant for every human being. But, boy, it's sad when people, it is right for them, and they don't do it. Yes, absolutely. Which is why I'm a huge advocate of that special kind of crazy and whether nobody is agreeing with you or not, just, you know, fuel that fire and know that just follow your gut. And if you're thinking, oh my God, everything I screw up is my fault. To me, that is awesome because if it's your fault, you get to fix it. (laughs) Great. Where do we start? (laughs) Rock and roll. Let's go. Awesome. It has been an unbelievable pleasure to get to talk to you again. We have to do this a little more often than once every eight years. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Any final words you'd like to give people before we sign off? Well, uh, I mean, really, I owe you a lot of thanks. I, I really do. You've, you've taught me so many years uh, that I've kept in the work uh, that we've done together. You know, uh, a couple things that are just huge for me, how to forgive people. I mean, uh, I think that's just a remarkable uh, process to, uh, to, to let go and, and forgive. And uh, I mean, that's been huge for me. Uh, you said something to me one time too. Uh, you said many things to me over the years, but uh, you said, you know, if you want to know what you value in life, go look at either your checkbook or your calendar. And I found that to be very, very, very true. And, uh, and so there's just a ton of things that, uh, that, that you have done for me over the years and the impact that you've made on me over the years is far greater than you probably have an idea. So uh, I appreciate all that you've done for me and, and look forward to remaining friends for a long time. Excellent. Well, thank you. And likewise, you have done more for me than I can possibly explain. You were the the seed that got me into the idea of going into franchises and coaching with them. So I I get to blame my entire success on you. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Thank you. And we will definitely do this again. Indeed, indeed. I will make sure that anybody's listening, if, you, um, if you're listening to it on certain stations, things like that, we'll make sure that you have a link to Mark and his team. Uh, if you're listening to this somewhere that there is no links, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog, and we'll have the notes there and all the connections as well. So this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being with us. If you have any ideas for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com or connect with me on LinkedIn and Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Thank you and have an awesome week. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. 
to register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.